Listener Production. So, should Philip Lowe, the boss of the Reserve Bank, get the sack? Well, the government is weighing up that decision right now as they look at a secret list of potential replacements and an announcement is expected very soon, in the next few days or weeks. Now, Philip Lowe became probably one of Australia's most unpopular people, with homeowners at least, because of this statement. We do not expect the cash rate to be increased until 2024 at the So that is the now famous or infamous and flawed interest rate guidance, which continued into late 2021. We now know that by May the next year, 2022, he'd um, gone against that advice and started the fastest and biggest rate hiking cycle since the 1980s, which has created so much pain, anger and this apology. I'm sorry that people listened to what we'd said and acted on that and now find themselves in a position they don't want to be in. So, Philip Lowe's standard seven-year term was always going to end this year in September, but the last two governors have had their terms extended by an extra three years. So the last two governors have been there for 10 years. So ending Lowe's tenure now at seven years would be a break from history. So what should they do? Was the big guidance error a sacking offence? Did it seriously undermine the bank's credibility? Did it make the current fight against inflation any harder? Well, these are all questions I'll discuss with a very senior economist who just finished up decades of work at the Reserve Bank. He knows all the key players. So that is our briefing, and it will be coming up in the second half of the podcast. Yes, we have heard your feedback, and it was really passionate, and it was overwhelmingly asking us to take the format back to what it was, which is giving you the headlines first and then going into our deep dive. So that's what we'll be doing. Here are today's headlines. It is Monday, the 10th of July, and for the headlines, I'm joined by Katrina Biles. Questions over Scott Morrison's future from one of his own. Outspoken Liberal MP Bridget Archer has questioned Scott Morrison's position in Parliament following the robo-debt Royal Commission's scathing assessment of the former PM. Archer says that having him in the Parliament makes it difficult for the party to draw a line under the past and move forward. So this is the latest reaction after the results were delivered on Friday with the failed scheme labelled ill-conceived, rushed and neither fair nor legal. And specifically about Morrison, it said some of his key evidence to the Royal Commission was untrue and that he allowed Cabinet to be misled about legislation related to the scheme. Uh, Scott Morrison has released a statement, Tom, but he's mm. he hasn't spoken to, to any journalists publicly about this just yet. Yeah, so he gave a statement saying he completely rejects each of the findings which are critical of my involvement in authorising the scheme and are adverse to me. So, yeah, I don't know if you really can completely reject the findings of a royal commission in the eye of the public. Um, these are seen as the, the highest level of independent inquiry and it was absolutely scathing of him and the robo-debt scheme which hurt so many Australians and was ultimately found to be without legal basis. Another part of the report was that um, it named uh, a number of individuals um, who would be referred to authorities, including the police, for further investigation. But this was in a sealed section of the report. So we don't know who those people were. But three ministers, um, Alan Tudge, Christian Porter and Stuart Robert, have come out since the Royal Commission was um, report was handed down on Friday saying, well, 
we haven't been contacted, so we don't think we were in the sealed section, but Morrison isn't amongst those names, so we still don't know if he was one of the people named in that section. From next month, you'll be able to ban yourself from online gambling. The program's called BetStop. It'll come in on August 21. And if you put yourself on this list, gambling companies will not be allowed to offer you any of their gambling services or let you have a gambling account. You can opt out from anywhere from three months to your whole life. The gambling providers will have to promote this program. And if you want to get off the list, you won't be able to do it for at least three months and you'll have to sign a statutory declaration confirming you've had counselling from a qualified professional. Sounds like a good program, Katrina. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, of course, there's always ways to get around this. You know, you could use a friend's account, etc., etc. But I think bravo to the authorities for trying to bring this in and trying to to do something because, you know, in a sober moment, whether that's without Mm. alcohol or or just with good intentions, you you might have, you know, great plans for trying not to let yourself go down this path, but in a moment of weakness might think otherwise. And I guess this is brought in to stop that. So this is um, the last measure of a national consumer protection framework for online wagering. It follows the final report of an inquiry into online gambling. Um, the government has also been trying to ban the use of credit cards for online betting, but hasn't been successful on that front yet. Yeah, I guess part of the weakness of this is that it has to be self-referred. I imagine there'd be some family members who are, who are really angry at other family members for spending lots of money on online gambling would love to be able to report them, but I imagine that's quite a a tricky thing to be able to get right as a policy. A $1 billion deal with Germany and what could be the biggest defence sale in our history is set to be announced today when Albo meets with Olaf Scholz in Berlin this morning. This defence deal would see tanks built locally in Brisbane as soon as 2025, which would then be sent to the German army. Albo is in Europe for the NATO Leaders' Summit, which starts tomorrow in Lithuania. While he's there, he's also expected to focus on stalled trade talks with the EU. Yeah, this is a huge deal, Australian-built tanks going to Germany. So Germany is rearming after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I mean, it is kind of... if you. Look at this with the long lens, Katrina, going back over 50 years to World War II when, you know, Germany for the second time had caused massive devastation across Europe. Here we are decades later selling tanks to them. It's quite a bizarre turn of events. Speaking of weapons, there's also controversy over the US sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. So a cluster bomb is a weapon that drops hundreds of smaller explosives over an area covering several football fields. And they're controversial um, because more than 100 countries, including Australia, have signed a convention banning their use. But it was announced on Friday that the US were sending these cluster bombs to Ukraine as part of an $800 million package. Even Joe Biden admitted that supplying these weapons was a difficult decision. Yeah, I guess the the biggest um, part of why a lot of these countries have moved to ban cluster bombs is they've got a high dud rate. Uh, That means that the thousands of these bombs can remain behind and kill and maim people in the future, sometimes Mm. even decades later. Uh, Ukraine's Defence Minister, for what it's worth, has said these bombs will not be used in Russian territory. Mm. Yeah, funny to see us... Setting these, you know, we're talking before about sober moments with gambling. You know, we have these sober moments after war where we 
we make decisions about doing things better and, and not using weapons like this, but you bring us into a, a conflict situation and suddenly, you know, those standards start, start to seem less, less solid. And the Ashes series is still alive after England chased down 251 runs to win the third Ashes test by three wickets at Headingley. So the hugely controversial and often entertaining series is 2-1 with two tests still to go. Yeah, so this loss really hurts for us Aussies. It comes after the big um, so-called cheating scandal last weekend where the English fans whinged for several days about um, a wicket that was um, pretty important in Australia winning the second test. So, yeah, we're up 2-1, but there are two tests to go, so it really is in the balance. One interesting thing is that there's now a bit of a selection question mark because um, this player, Mitchell Marsh, was brought back into the team and hit an amazing century in the first innings, and the rest of Australia's top-order batsmen have been not doing very well at all, particularly David Warner, who was under a, a question mark about his form anyway heading into this, and this could be his last overseas test tour, um, but he, he has really struggled, Warner, to score runs, and now they're faced with the question, well, how do we keep Mitchell Marsh in the team? And David mm-hmm. Warner's name comes up as a, as a question mark. So the selectors will have a very interesting few days. There's a nine-day break before the fourth test, and... So much going on in the cricket, it's become a very entertaining series, as you said. Well, maybe during that break, um, Alex Carey might actually get the haircut that he was accused of having in Leeds. Um, Alastair Cook has had to apologise for spreading this bizarre rumour that Alex Carey walked out of a Leeds barbershop without paying for his haircut. He apparently... Uh, promised the barber that he would send the money via international transfer and never did. Um, Cricket Australia even had to intervene and go, you know what, Alex Carey hasn't even had a haircut since he was last in London last month for the World Test Championship. Um, Alastair Cook has had to apologise and say that the barber had a case of mistaken identity. So weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it came to that. Mm, and an interesting coincidence that Alex Carey's the wicketkeeper who took the controversial wicket in the second yes. test and suddenly there's this rumour out there about him. I mean, I like this story. It, what it says to me is that the banter and the, the nonsense that goes on in the English stands at these matches is pretty next level. The chanting and the teasing <laughs> and the taunting. Yeah. It's all part of a very colourful scene. All right. Speaking of colourful scenes, we're about to talk about the RBA governor decision. Will Philip Lowe keep his job? We'll catch you later, Katrina. As you probably know from your own life, your mistakes can be your best teacher. So when you sack someone who's made a big mistake, you lose all the learnings that came from that difficult period. But big public mistakes can also shake confidence and undermine credibility. And for the Reserve Bank, in the midst of a very tricky inflation battle, confidence and credibility are two very important things. Now, the RBA's main job is to set interest rates. Sounds simple, but that is very complex because it has an enormous impact on the economy by changing how expensive it is to borrow money. So the cheaper it is to borrow money, like the 0.1% rates we had during the pandemic, the more we borrow, the more we invest, the more we spend, so the economy grows. But if you put rates up, 
like where they are now at 4.1%, then debts, especially mortgages, become very expensive to repay. And so people wind back their spending and their investment and the economy slows right down. Now, the RBA does this independently of government, but the government still decides who runs the bank. And right now, the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, is looking at a secret list of potential replacements for Philip Lowe. So what should they do? Well, let's get some insights from Jonathan Kearns. He worked at the RBA for decades. He was the head of financial stability and the head of economic analysis. He left the job in February and is now in the private sector. He's the chief economist at Challenger. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Given the last two governors had their seven-year terms extended to 10, am I right in saying that if Philip Lowe was cut short now, it would be effectively a sacking? Well, Governor Lowe has expressed a desire to continue in the job, so he's clearly willing to, to have another term. Uh, so if he wasn't continued, then you know that's obviously a consideration by the government that they assess that somebody else is better for the job. So they'd have to explain that decision, which will be really interesting. Um, let's get to the most controversial part of Philip Lowe's time in the job, which is the infamous flawed 2021 guidance that interest rates would stay at record lows until at least 2024. Do you think that is the main reason they're considering ending his term earlier than previous RBA governors? That's certainly been an important factor and something that has received a lot of focus from commentators, the media, etc. You know, there's a concern that that commitment exposed people to getting into more debt. But if we go back and think about the situation when we were in in 2021, we really didn't think that we were going to be in the position where interest rates were going up by now. The concern was that with the pandemic and the the depth of the recession that we were experiencing, it was going to take a long time to get out of that. In other countries, central banks engaged in large quantitative easing, so they were buying lots of government bonds. In Australia, the way of trying to produce stimulus was seen to be making this commitment about interest rates, which at the time seemed pretty reasonable. Yeah, but it was a huge mistake and he didn't have to put a three-year period on it. He could have said for the foreseeable future or explained his logic in many different ways without giving people such a long-range forecast. Clearly, that was a mistake. There's no debate about that. There is, of course, as you say, context for it and an understanding of why it was made. Do you think that now, in hindsight, flawed guidance did real damage to the RBA's credibility? Look, it certainly has dented the RBA's credibility, that's without doubt, because with the benefit of hindsight, it probably wasn't the right call to make. If you read what the bank said at the time, it always was conditional. You know, they expect it to be three years. But they certainly didn't go out of their way to correct the interpretation that the media and people placed on it that it was a commitment. They let that interpretation hang out there. What do you think is the right thing to do? I mean, How do we put that guidance issue in its proper context when considering the job that Philip Lowe has done as Reserve Bank Governor? Uh, Well, I mean, that's obviously one important but only one decision of the decisions he's made in his tenure as governor. And I think when we assess the performance of the Australian economy, by and large, it's actually done really well. I mean, Mm. you only need to look at the fact that we got unemployment back down to 3.5% after the pandemic, which nobody thought was really going to be possible. So the Australian economy as a whole has done really well. Now, the RBA is part of that, but there are other considerations, fiscal policy, the way governments 
um, stimulated the economy, etc. So, you know, overall, I think the performance has been pretty good. So, do you keep the current guy in the job? You know, he he's made that fairly public blunder, but otherwise done a fairly good job. And as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, sometimes mistakes are the best teacher. And so to have the person in the job who's learnt potentially from that mistake and is committed to the challenge and, and potentially a little bit extra motivated to restore his reputation if it has been diminished in some people's eyes, what's the right thing to do here? Ultimately, you want the best person in the job. And, you know, we know that Phil Lowe is an exceptional economist and absolutely dedicated to public policy. I think rather than criticising the RBA for increasing interest rates, which every other central bank has had to do too, the case for change at the RBA is actually from looking at the review that was done into the RBA, Mm. which was released earlier this year, and made a whole host of recommendations for changes. Most of these are sort of bringing the RBA up to where other central banks in other countries have got to in how they operate. And so the question then is just who's going to be the right person to lead that change? Mm. These are decisions to change how the Reserve Bank operates in many ways that haven't been made in the past. And so the question is whether a new person is going to be better suited to, to lead that or whether the commitment of Phil to those changes means that they'll be done in a, in a good way. And I guess that's something that the Treasurer will have to weigh up, having had discussions with Phil and any other candidates. You probably have a rough idea of who might be on this secret short list of candidates that the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, is choosing from. The Australian newspapers reporting that the, the boss of the Treasury Department, Stephen Kennedy, is on the list, as well as the head of the finance department, Jenny Wilkinson. I imagine the deputy chair of the Reserve Bank, uh, Michelle Bullock, is probably on that list as well. Mm-hmm. Who else? And what's the real choice here? Obviously, one of the biggest sort of binary choices is whether you go someone who's been inside the RBA, someone like Michelle Bullock or, or yourself until you left recently, or whether you go someone from a department or someone completely different altogether. Yeah, it's a really big decision. I think, you know, one thing that we need to consider is that the RBA is a really diverse organisation. You're running monetary policy, you're running the payment system, you know, how uh, banks interact with one another, how payments are made through the economy. It's got a bank for the government. It's a very high profile position with a lot of prestige that carries with that. So it's a very onerous and challenging position, which requires quite a broad skill set. So I think it's not surprising that all of the people that are on that list have either worked at the RBA or have been, in the case of Stephen Kennedy, been on the RBA board. You know, because I think you do need that experience and exposure. I think early on there was speculation about getting someone from another country, a foreign central banker who could come in, who could be really that fresh perspective to lead the change at the RBA. But we haven't heard any more about that, which you know suggests that potentially they, they haven't been able to find someone in that regard. So then it really does come down to someone who has been recently in the RBA, so either the governor or deputy governor, or even the former deputy governor, Guy DeBell, has been mm. mentioned. Or if you get someone who's been away from the RBA 
had a long career elsewhere, whether they would provide a bit more of a fresh perspective on being able to lead the change at the RBA and the commitment to that change. It is a really tough decision for the Treasurer, but I think you know the important thing is that all of those candidates are exceptionally well qualified, very capable, and so they're very credible candidates that I think would do well in the job. So even though you said the guidance mistake didn't have a significant macroeconomic impact on the current fight against inflation, would there be some upside in changing the leadership now as a way of moving on from that time and that the damage of that credibility? Look, at that. it would have some perception difference, but I think in terms of you know, what interest rates are actually going to do, it would make very little difference. I can't see that interest rates in a few months' time or in a year's time are going to be any different based on whether you renew the contract or fill low or appoint someone from outside the central bank. It just creates a bit of baggage, doesn't it? It's all, Or as Tony Abbott would say, barnacles that need to be... <laughs> <laughs> that feels a bit harsh when you're talking about an individual, to be honest, to use that metaphor, but... Yeah, there is yeah, there is a publicity problem because it just is, is is talked about so often whenever the interest rate conversation comes up. Absolutely. And I think we need to be really careful about trying to focus on the actual decisions. And there has been a lot of criticism of Phil Lowe that's been excessive and personal. And I think, mm. you know, it's really unfair for somebody who's committed to public policy and is working in the best interests of the public to face having the media camped outside their house and Mm. being accosted when they're going to the swimming pool and things that have happened because ultimately it's not that he's being accused of any negligence. Mm. It's just some people disagree with the decisions he made. That was Jonathan Kearns, the Chief Economist at Challenger. So, if I was Jim Chalmers, what would I do? I'm sure you're dying to know. Well, this is a cynical tank, but... Philip Lowe, partly because of that guidance mistake, has become basically the punching bag for the public for their pain about the rising interest rates. So rising interest rates can be very damaging for governments. They hurt John Howard big time in the lead up to his ousting in 2007. But Philip Lowe has become the symbol for that pain rather than the politician. So Jim Chalmers could argue that, look, hey, apart from the perception problem created by the guidance mistake, Philip Lowe has done a great job and should be allowed to continue. Now, for Jim Chalmers, that would be really convenient because Philip Lowe could say the public face of the pain people are feeling and the government could keep dancing around it, avoiding the direct ire of the debt-riddled public. Now, that's the cynical tank. But ultimately, I think some clear air with a new leader could help everyone move on from the pandemic-era guidance mistake. So I would probably thank Philip Lowe very much for more or less a really good job, apart from the guidance era and I'd put another very safe pair of hands in the job and start the journey of moving forward. Listener.